Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in California in the center of Silicon Beach, the third most important center for entrepreneurs, incubators, and accelerators in the world. There is also a plethora of VCs in this area. Now, Ford's the latest major company, along with Mercedes, Audi, Nissan, BMW, and a whole bunch of others, to announce that it intends to develop fully autonomous vehicles. Now, that, as you know, is just the uh, latest announcement in the long string of big companies interested in driverless tech, and it ranges from Tesla to Google and Uber and Apple and Lyft, and after so much hype, Driverless cars are expected, and in fact, they're almost here. But in the tech space, things are happening so rapidly, people, particularly entrepreneurs, and to some degree investors, have moved on to the next phase of transportation, a bit like what um, Airbus is proposing. European giant Airbus, you know, it's um, Boeing's biggest competitor, and it focuses on making planes. But now the aerospace giant is working on a flying driverless taxi. That you just call up via an app on your smartphone. The concept itself is pretty extraordinary. But Airbus equally extraordinary timeline shows that it's serious. The company expects to have the um, vehicle built and doing initial tests middle to the end of next year. So on the Airbus website, Airbus says that much of the technology is needed for a flying driverless taxi, such as batteries, motor and avionics, are already here. We've already got them. Airbus believes that the global demand for flying track taxis and similar vehicles will be in the millions of vehicles in as little as 10 years. Boy, that'll really revolutionise urban travel for millions of us. I look out here on the 14-lane freeways of LA and think of vast wastelands. How cool is that? Airbus is also developing a drone-like helicopter for ferrying passengers around the city. The second craft, called City Airbus, has been under secret development by French and German engineers for the last couple of years. So these projects... You know, they, they highlight, don't they, the enormous and rapid changes taking place in transportation after decades of the status quo. But we've got had flying cars in comic strips and sci-fi magazines for about 70 years. So it's not hard to imagine that one day very soon our big cities will have flying cars making their way along roads in the sky. We'll use our uh, smartphones to book a fully automated flying taxi that'll land outside our front door without any pilot, and off we go. How cool is that? You know, just keep in mind that we didn't have smartphones until about 20 years ago. 
So think of how things have changed. Now, Airbus's announcement is significant because it underlines the fact that the transportation industry is really evolving rapidly. Think about Hyperloop, driverless cars, electric vehicles, supersonic jets and space planes all actively under various stages of development by dozens of firms in dozens of countries around the world. And uh, these initiatives are going to change the future of many industries tremendously over the next decade. And while driverless cars and electric vehicles are not mutually exclusive technologies, flying taxis and electric vehicles are, at least at this stage of technology, technological development, it's hard to say, they are. Planes and helicopters all run on jet fuel because the technology doesn't exist yet to create lightweight batteries with enough power to run turbine engines or heavy-duty helicopter props. Thus, consumers in the future may be choosing between a driverless electric car or a driverless fossil fuel-powered flying taxi. In my view, if they're going to be fossil fuel powered, they are not going to get off the ground, excuse the pun. So uh, the choice may just be between saving the environment or getting from A to B as quickly as possible. So how serious is the driverless car business? Well, let me tell you, it is bloody serious. When Uber bought Otto for $700 million last month, they didn't want Otto, the products. They wanted Otto's talent, meaning they paid $700 million for 70 employees. And then if you look at General Motors, they spent a billion dollars to acquire Cruise a couple of months ago. What they wanted was the 40 self-driving car experts to come up to Detroit and help them catch up with a pack of companies developing self-driving cars for a billion dollars for 40 experts. And basically what this means is that the going rate for self-driving car talent is at least $10 million per person, an astronomical figure that represents, I guess, an astronomical rise in demand. There's 10 self-driving car companies now saying that they'll be on the road in four years when somewhere well in excess of 10 million drivers' vehicles are expected to be on the road. According to Sebastian Thrun, who's the mastermind behind Google's self-driving car, companies are absolutely desperate for talent. But the skill set to build a self-driving car is a multidisciplinary skill set and they just are not available out there in the marketplace. That's because there's only one machine learning program in the world and that's at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And by the way, that program's scrambling to recover after Uber poached its 40 researchers. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Now, Pittsburgh is also where Uber's first self-driving tests with Volvo were launched. Now, Uda City, the online teaching school that Thrun co-founded in 2002, is now partnering with companies like Otto, Mercedes, Benz and Didi Chuxung 
which is the Chinese Uber, to create a self-driving nano degree program. So you enrol at the online teaching school, Uda City. The program lasts nine months and was designed around one single question. And that question was, what would it take for these graduates to get a job at one of the partnering companies? Now, just keep in mind, they've got, you've got some pretty serious competition. They've received thousands upon thousands of applications, and they're only going to admit 250 students. So pretty competitive. And companies who want to engage with now there's a, most industries have been disrupted in one way or another, but one industry that we probably don't think about is um, you know the way that the social companies use social media to appeal to people that are using their platform. Well, companies want to engage with customers on social media and, you know, they um, they typically monitor posts for keywords related to their business or hashtags that they've told their users to use. But thanks to companies like Hyper, which is HYP, 3R, some of the biggest brands on the planet are moving away from monitoring what people are tweeting and towards where they're tweeting from. The newest startup uses geofencing technology to select specific geographic areas, then collects all the social media posts shared publicly within that zone. So how does a company use that information? Well, take Marriott, for example. Marriott's just signed a deal with Hyper for all 4,500 hotels that they've got around the world. So if you're staying at one of their properties during your, I don't know, anniversary weekend and decide to post on your arrival, if it's a public post, chances are that Marriott will see it because they've got a control room of people monitoring social media. So they'll just send up a bottle of champagne to your room with a nice little card so in this case, that's pretty cool. Most people are always up for a free bottle of champagne. And other clients include Pepsi, who uses Hyper for events, and Disney, who use it at Disney World. But just imagine tweeting something along the lines of, I had a big night last night and I'm not feeling so special this morning, and getting a response from the local bar suggesting that you um, stop by for a hair of the dog. That wouldn't take long to become very bloody annoying. So there's a message for big brands here. You know, we get it. We understand that you want to use this technology to reach the target audience and connect with the community. But I can see it getting really out of control and getting really tired really fast. Now, if you enjoy this radio show every week, then you should become a member of the Bob Pritchard Premium Club. And if you're not a member, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and join today. Now, let me tell you about some of the benefits you'll receive. There's a whole bunch of them. Firstly, you'll be uh, invited to my members-only webinars. Secondly, (laughs) you know all those successful CEOs that you admire. Well, you get to meet them on 
the Successful CEOs program, and you'll also receive a CD of interviews with 50 of the world's most successful people, what they've achieved and how they got there, and the challenges that they had to overcome. You'll also receive access to business merchandise discounted to cost, as well as daily access to the best of my disruptive ideas. You're also going to earn loyalty points with Bob Pritchard's Premium Club just for participating. And you can use these for all sorts of great rewards. So if you join now, you'll also receive one month's bonus membership and the program is 100% guaranteed. So in the words of Donald Trump, what the hell have you got to lose? <laughs> I wish I'd never said that. God. And also, make sure you subscribe to my daily newsletter. It goes out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries every day, and the uh, distribution is increasing rapidly. It's designed as a 30-second read. So in 30 seconds, you've read it and you're done. It's just what every entrepreneur or business leader needs to keep up to date. Now, my guest today is Siku Andrews. Now, this guy has to be seen to be believed. He is amazing. He, it's hard to describe, but he creates really powerful poetic presentations that help organisations tell their most powerful stories. Now, and he makes... He makes events. When you see him at a uh, corporate event, and he makes it into a really unbelievable experience, and he transforms audiences of informed receivers into enrolled responders. He does more than inspire us with his story. He inspires us with our story. I mean, it's really quite incredible. And he is so busy on any given day, you'll find him presenting an original talk for international marketing executives, giving a keynote speech at a leadership conference, or performing pieces for Barack Obama at Oprah's house. He's performed privately for people like Maya Angelou, Quincy Jones, Larry King, Hillary Clinton, Norm Norman Lear, Sean P. Diddy Coombs, Claretta Scott King, and a whole bunch of others. This guy is a star, and he has a magnificent voice. Now, um, <coughs> excuse me, Siku has a webinar date on September 27. That's seven days from today, and it's 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So immediately after this radio show next week, now your partner resources link is partner centre. Um, you need to look up Siku Andrews, S-E-K-O-U, Andrews, and it will give you all the details to the webinar next Tuesday, September 27th. 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The guy is brilliant. So I'm proud to call him a friend from Metal and I'll be back with Siku 
immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs and people involved in disciplines that can assist us to be more effective in business. We talk to people who have unusual professions people who think outside the box and yet still have something to share with other entrepreneurs that will help us all become a little bit more successful in this fast-paced technology era. Um, The good thing about talking to people who undertake professions that are really outside the box is it, it gives you an indication of the massive variety of professions and vocations out there that can help you make a living and become very successful. You don't all have to be. Um, One of the problems that I've got with the STEM uh, education process that we seem to have at the moment is that it doesn't encourage the arts. In fact, it, it sort of stamps the arts down. You know, you might be brilliant at musician or you might be brilliant at, um, telling stories or whatever, but you really should get a job in a bank because that's safe. You know, we hear that all the time from people. And uh, so it's good to talk to people who are outside those regular professions because the other professions are much more interesting, much less competitive, and you can do extremely well. Now, my guest today is Siku Andrews. And he's a guy that I've seen perform on several occasions, and he is unique and very brilliant. He's a poet, but he's not just one of those garden variety poets. He gives keynotes to leadership conferences. He helps Fortune 500 companies with brand messaging. He's performed for Barack Obama in Oprah Winfrey's backyard, and he's now become the world's leading poetic voice a new type of speaker and artist who seamlessly blends inspirational speaking with spoken word poetry to help organisations tell their most powerful stories. Now, he's presented to, you name it, he's presented to the Googles and Nikes and Toyotas and PayPals and Cisco's and everybody. 
He's been on ABC, MSNBC, HBO, Showtime, MTV and BET. And Forbes.com has called him the de facto poet laureate of corporate America. But not only corporate America, he's also presented privately for people such as Larry King, Quincy Jones, Hillary Clinton, Bono, Maya Angelou and Norman Lear. And he shared the stage with people like Stevie Wonder, Carlos Santana, Jay-Z, Maroon 5 and on and on. Apart from that, he hasn't done anything. <laughs> that is just you think you think about a poet and you don't think of that breadth of unbelievable experience and uh, and positioning do you and as a poetic voice seeker does more than inspire us with his story he inspires us with our story hi seeker welcome to the bob pritchard radio show Wow, that guy sounds interesting. That, we should listen to him. Yeah, <laughs> that, that guy's really cool. He, sound, he sounds very lazy. Like, what is he doing with his life? He needs to do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Thanks for that great introduction, Bob. I appreciate it. That's all right. Um, as you can probably gather by now, not only is he confident and have a great story, but he's also got a fantastic speaking voice. I wish I had a speaking <laughs> voice like that. I'd be famous. Uh, hey, well, you've got the accent, though. you got the accent. Accents go a long way, too. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been here 30 years, and I've still got the accent. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Accents are sexy, baby. They're sexy. <laughs> oh, I, hope so. I hope you're right. Um, so what is Poetic Voice, and why has it been so successful in the in the business world and why do all these superstars want you to come around and talk to them sure yeah uh, you know poetic voice is i call it my, my joyful challenge and that it's you know it's it's always a challenge trying to put a new language in the world's mouth and on the world's tongue you know and create something that doesn't exist um and yet it's it's a joy because it's it's my baby it's my creation and and uh, it's it's very purposeful for me uh poetic voice you know like you mentioned it is really basically the, the simplest way to describe it is uh that seamless fusion between inspirational speaking and spoken word poetry um you imagine a lot of poets or performers and artists who are also speakers their uh their their speeches tend to be almost like glorified sets where they they perform something and then you applaud and then they you know talk for a while and tell some stories and some anecdotes and they set up the next the next performance and then they perform that and then you applaud and so forth right um and you get that rhythm i wanted to create something that was a seamless experience where you didn't know where the storytelling ends and the the business content begins where you know you think that i'm delivering some of your uh some of your your inspirational content or your business value and then suddenly you're like wait is he rhyming oh wait we're into a a a heightened language poetic piece right now oh wait actually this is this is a personal vulnerable story oh wait now now we're talking about our data but in a way i've never heard it and so it constantly creates this leaning in effect of the audience not being able to get ahead of me because they never know where i'm going and so it creates this sort of delightful artistic experience that yet doesn't sacrifice 
the, uh, the, the, the business value for these organizations. And that's why they call because they're used to, hey, this is the entertainer that we booked in the entertainment slot and this is the uh, speaker that we booked in the speaker slot and they're going, you know, never never show the two uh, uh, mix, you know, yeah, never right. show the two meet, you know. Yeah. And, um, and I wanted to change that, that paradigm. I wanted to say you don't have to sacrifice the entertainment and the artistry, which is a powerful uh, medium for delivering this content and creating a human experience. Um, you don't have to sacrifice that and you don't have to sacrifice the business content. Um, you can actually have the speaker content be delivered through the vehicle of art. When you say that um, you know the audience gets dragged in because they don't know where you're going next, when you're up there, do you know where the hell you're going next? <laughs> that is the magic, my friend. Listen, you know, it's like it's like you know. I mean, it's it's the it's the thousand hours of you know LeBron's training to make him flying through the air look easy to us, and yet you know it's incredibly difficult, right? So, sure. um, and so for me, yeah, absolutely. If you think about a poet, you think about someone who is incredibly uh, fixated on each and every word and syllable, right? We can we yeah. can agonize about whether we should write. Uh, the word yellow or the word canary for hours. You know what I mean? Like right. that's just yep. the, that's the, that's the angst of the of the poet, right? right. Um, and so all the words are very crafted, and yet I always believe that really good spoken word. And, and the reason why I love the art form of spoken word is because I believe that the word should always live strong on the page, but come to life on the stage. And so it's the come to life part that then creates the appearance of I am just coming up with this. It is flowing off my tongue as effortlessly as if I'm thinking of it in real time. You know, it almost feels right. like, like, like a freestyle rapper or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and yet that's where the improv skills come in, the theater skills come in, the songwriting skills come in, the performance element that comes into turning my business speech into something that feels like art that's being created right in front of you. Um, half the time, I would say 90% of the time, I'm working off of teleprompter. And yet, probably 90% of the time, the question or the statement that I get most was, how do you memorize all that? And that can be from somebody that was sitting right in front of the tele teleprompter, <laughs> but never noticed me, looked down at it, never, never, it never felt like I was reading. I actually had someone that didn't book me one time because they said, oh, we don't want a teleprompter speech. We want what we saw at the last conference. And my manager was like, well, what you saw at the last conference was a teleprompter read. <laughs> but again, people are not used to a speaker being able to deliver like a performer, being able to perform a speech, and that's the difference. I saw you probably three years ago, I guess, at Metal for the first time, and I've seen you a couple of times since. I'm not sure how long ago it was, but I must admit, um, when Ken introduced you and said, um, his seeker, the po the poet, I thought, oh, shit, here we go. Maybe it's, maybe it's time to go to the bathroom and get another cup of coffee. And um, you blew me away. You were just phenomenal. It was nothing like... I'd expect it, and I'm sure that you weren't. There was no teleprompter there. There was you were you were actually doing it um, from memory, and it was brilliant. So um, you you don't always need a teleprompter. That's right. No, not at all. I mean, you know, and I always tell people the the there are certain things that I just have committed to memory, but. A lot of speakers can just say, oh, you know, I don't have teleprompter, I'll just show up. Well, a lot of times when you're speaking, it's, it's, there's a lot of winging it. You're just telling the story, you're talking generally about the content. You're not, it's not a word-for-word -word type of thing. Yeah, Whereas true. with poetry, it's, you know, it's couplets and syllables and symmetry and all these things that you have to sort of respect the integrity of the art form, which I, which I do. I respect spoken word poetry and the techniques, the proficiency.
efficiency of a poet, you know, so it's not just a rant, you know, yeah, uh, which, sure. people, which people think a lot of spoken word is, and yet at the same time, there are certain things that I do have already committed to memory, and so when you saw me at Metal, um, yeah, you saw me do something that was committed to memory, whereas a lot of times I'm repurposing content and really customizing it for, uh, for my, my business clients to be able to tell a Nike or a Toyota story in a way that feels very authentic to them. I, you know, people always say an inspirational speaker should be inspiring, and I feel like, you know, yeah, that's the base level um, goal. For me, the heightened goal, or the, where I'm really popping my collar, if you will, is authenticity. You know, when I can walk off the stage from speaking to cardiologists and they walk up to me and go, so wait a minute, you're not a doctor? That's when I feel like I achieved my goal. They listen to me as if I was one of them. And you listen differently when you think you're listening to someone from your community. So it's much more powerful. And that's why you get that. He tells our story, not just his story. Okay, let's go back quite a few years when you were young. Um, uh-huh. Let's say you're... Whatever else. I don't know about quite a few. I mean, what are you trying to say? Like, you know, maybe maybe 10 years, maybe eight years when I was young. Maybe when you were, you know, six or seven or eight. Um, what did you know that you wanted to be a poet for at that age? Yeah, yeah, right. I woke up and I was like, you know what, Mommy? I want to be a, 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 corp, a poet laureate of industry. Yeah. No, not at all. When, um, when you did know, that I come about? I, I always joke in my speeches that, uh, you know, I was supposed to be, I, I fell in love with acting and I fell in love with uh, hip hop at the same time in middle school. And so I was going to be Jay-Z and Denzel, you okay. know, the combination deal. I was going to be Jay-Zell, you okay. know, and, and so, uh, and so I had big plans that I pursued acting and I pursued hip hop and music and songwriting and production through high school, through college and beyond. And, um, as I began to, go to open mics to develop um, a, a, a following for my music and to try to yeah. get a record deal, you know, I ended up sort of falling in love with the, the, the people who loved me just for my words. And I didn't have to worry about the beat and the hook and the topic and was it gangster enough and was, it, was I talking about bling enough and all of that. They were just moved by my words. And I found myself really loving that experience. And then the entrepreneur kicked in and said, well, actually, now I'm kind of falling in love with spoken word poetry and I'm getting more excited about being a pioneer of new trails with spoken word poetry than being tossed into the sea of demos and headshots out there trying to chase the existing industries. You probably make a lot more money um, being, <laughs> being in a tight niche than, yeah, you, than right. you can being, you know, swimming in with the sharks and not only a few sharks, but bloody millions of them. And, and you're always seduced by that. You're always seduced by the billions, and yet you look around and you see that you know millions of people are chasing the same crumbs of those billions, whereas with this, I felt like this is a way for me to sort of purposely really create a living being myself um, and crafting that and, and creating a model that other poets and other artists um, and other speakers who, who feel like there should be a way that I can genuinely stand on, my, on, on a stage and and be myself as a gymnast or be myself as a mother of nine or be myself and incorporate all of that into my speaking in a way that feels very authentic without sacrificing my credibility or, or my power as an artist or as a speaker. And, and I wanted to be the model for that with Poetic Voice as well as with my, you know, with my training of other speakers and helping to bring that out in them. Right. Um, so what makes somebody... 
Now, I'm be careful what you say here because I'm a speaker, as you know, and um, <laughs> I hope I hope that when I walk off stage, people are inspired. But what makes somebody an inspiring leader to the audience? If you're sitting down in the audience, what are you looking for in the in the performer or artist? What makes someone an inspiring leader to audiences is that they are just like Bob Pritchard. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Is that a I wonder you're successful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, um, honestly, the, if I was going to distill it down to one word, I think that what makes somebody inspiring as a leader to audience is, um, is their humanity. Um, I think that leaders um, and businesses in general, business business leaders and businesses have um, misplaced their value in how they connect with audiences, with customers, with their communities, um, and they've based it off of the in, the information and not the inspiration. And I think, um, and we're seeing that change now. You know, I'm working on a book right now that is all about sort of, you know, really how companies are are. Uh, returning to harnessing the power of inspiration. And you see that in storytelling, if nothing else. I mean, everybody is trying to become a better storyteller. Ted has blown storytelling up. Companies are hiring storytellers left and right. I, I go into companies and I, um, I get, you know, I have a workshop called Insist on Story that helps companies, you know, like a tech company, like a PayPal or someone to, um, to train their tech sales team to use storytelling more effectively within the world of tech sales, you know, or, or uh, nurses or doctors trying to figure out how to become better storytellers for quality care and bedside manner. Everyone is, look, is making that return to storytelling. Well, why? Storytelling is, 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 exper- is experiential. Yep. And um, and it brings out the human sort of universal threads beneath all of the information, beneath all of the data, right? And that's what we're really making a return to is saying there is value in this inspiration. We have to be able to connect to someone on a human level and allow them to um, share a, a, a universal experience, a common collective experience with us so that we see each other, we see ourselves in each other. And there, that's how we know that we're in the right place, the, whether that's the conference, whether that's the company, whether that's the job, whether that's the partnership, whatever it is that the me- whatever the message is that we're trying to communicate to that audience, they have to first know uh, I- I'm in the right place. I'm listening to the right person. I'm reassured that this is the journey that I'm supposed to be on, and I'm seeing myself up there. That's why I talked earlier about authenticity. When that doctor sees themselves in me so much to the point that they're confused on whether I'm a poet or a cardiologist, then they listen with their uh, their, their hearts and their muscles and their minds and their breath and their spirit and their energy, they receive it much more holistically. So they're, they're uplifted and they're inspired and that makes the, the information stickier and, it, and, and more moving and memorable for them. So I think really um, a leader really allowing themselves to value their humanity and creating human connections and remembering that the best way to connect with a human being is to first be a human being. That sure. makes someone inspiring. I don't think it's possible to listen to this um, to, to this interview and not be expi- inspired and motivated. So um, we've still got a, a lot of, in- of interview to go, but what I'd like you to do, if you're sitting at home, just go onto YouTube and look up Siku, S-E-K-O-U, um, and there are, I don't know how many, but stacks and stacks 
of YouTube video. So while, while you're listening to the interview, just get onto YouTube and you'll see, you'll get a much better um, idea of, of what we're talking about. He's, he, the guy is just fucking brilliant. Anyway, <laughs> having said that, what's the one challenge that you think most business leaders have with public speaking, apart from being scared to death to walk on stage? Um, I feel like a lot of speakers, um, they, they think, you know, one of the things that speakers are trying to do most is figure out how to engage an audience. Sure. Right? Um, and so I work with a lot of executives and, um, entrepreneurs and, and, you know, authors and folks that, that, that either are now catapulted to a place where they're they're used to speaking one-to-one and now they have to speak one-to-many. Yes. Um, and that could be because their company is growing and they got to talk to investors or their, their, their team and staff is growing and they need to be more inspirational for their, for their, uh, their bigger team or, you know, they just launched a book, um, whatever it is. <clears throat> they want to become a, a thought leader in their industry, et cetera. And, um, and they all come saying, oh, I want to be more engaging. I want to be more engaging, right? And they tend to think about engagement as this one big thing that they do. Like, so give me that thing that I can do to be engaging, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, so I'm always telling them you need to, again, so much of what I do when I'm training, um, when I'm training really high-level speakers is to just, it's, it's a matter of undoing the mindset that they have and, and replacing it with a new mindset, right? Um, it's a matter of undoing the speaker mindset and replacing it with a, with a performer's mindset, right? Um, and getting them to think about what a speaker is in a different way. And engagement, I tell them, is not one big act, you know, or one big moment that you create. Engagement is 10, 20, 30 small, uh, incremental, significant moments of leaning in that you create. Right. And you allow those moments to crescendo. And if you think about what leaning is, if you think about what engagement looks like, I mean, if you were to sit, if I told you right now, sit in your chair and, you know, show me the face of engagement or the body position of engagement, you'd probably, you know what, you'd lean forward, right? You'd, yep. you'd, uh, you'd have your eyes wide open, your mouth might be open, you'd have, you know, your face would be lit up, you'd be kind of clenching your seat, like, that's what engagement looks like. And so if you think about um, a presentation, what you want to be doing is, is mastering the energy and the delivery um, of, of your presentation and of the room to be able to create small moments where they're just leaning in and their eyes get a little bit wider and their mouth gets a little bit wider. And every time they think, think they can check out, every time they think they know where you're going, you do something else that brings them right back, that brings them right back forward, right? And so leaning back looks like I'm checking my Facebook, I'm going to the bathroom, I'm taking a nap, I know where he's going. Leaning, leaning in is, this is crazy. Every time I think I know where he's going, he does something different. He does something to ignite the room. He brings my attention back to him. And you do that in all sorts of ways. You know, it can be um, the way that you inject yourself through space. It can be the way that you use your body to tell a story. I teach a technique called body telling. That is um, really using your body like a performer um, to, to create much more of a rock star performance experience on your business stage by, by using, I always say I'm going to introduce speakers to parts of their body that they've never met. You know, a lot of speakers have never met their knees. They've never met their elbow. They've never messed up their hair during a presentation. They've never, you know, pointed their toes or squatted or these kinds of things that make for, for really engaging storytelling and don't compromise your authority at all. 
those are the kinds of things that you should be thinking about. And those are the challenges that a lot of speakers have is that they've been taught, plant your feet, stand straight up, pull your shoulders back, point to the, point to the audience in these two couple of ways, look above the audience's head, open your hands, that's engagement. And there's an entire dynamic range that they're missing out on, and they wonder why then they, they don't stand out. That sounds like Toastmasters. I've I've been a um, um, vocal critic of Toastmasters for about thirty five years. It teaches people to be robots. I, I'll never forget. I went to a Toastmasters about thirty years ago or something, and uh, the guy who was conducting it said to me, "You will never ever be a speaker. You just don't have what it takes." And now a couple of thousand speeches later to 91 Fortune 500 companies, I figured he was wrong. So. You know, I, I, you know what? Screw that guy. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's, you know, that, that's the that's the classic that's the classic example of the you know of the person telling of, of the teacher telling someone yeah. what they'll never do. You know what I mean? It's, it's the person that it's the person that didn't sign the Beatles because they said you know guitar music is dead. It's the person that that's told right. you know a, a Steve Jobs or a Bill Gates or whatever. You know, you'll never make it because you didn't get an A in computer science or whatever. You know, yeah. like there's always we call them haters, Bob. Okay. The world yeah. is filled with haters, player, right? and that. you can't let the player haters cut, you know, get you down, and we are the evidence of how wrong they are. Yeah, I think I, I call them dream takers, but I'll, I'll accept haters. There's, there's <laughs> certainly the world's full of dream takers. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the things with, um, with being a good speaker is, firstly, I think to some degree you have to be born with um, sort of a natural ability to appear in front of people. Um, but I also think you need to be yourself rather than, you know, sort of focusing on the 10 rules of public speaking. Um, I think, I think you've, got a, you've got a big advantage because I'd much, I'd much rather work, walk on stage with your voice than work on stage with my voice. Your voice instantly commands attention and also the way you modulate it instantly commands attention where some funny little guy with an Australian accent, I don't think it works quite so well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the beauty of it is that, you know, you learn to use what you got. You know, I always tell one of the best pieces of the business advice that I got was from my my very dear friend and and mentor and colleague, uh, legendary TV filmmaker Norman Lear, who uh, I did a voting tour with, along with some other poets and artists, and as we were sitting there just trying to figure out how to inspire youth to vote in a nonpartisan tour and the challenges of all of that, um, and, you know, what our own relationship to voting was, and and he said, you know, well, listen, hang a lantern on it. If you feel like you're struggling with something that, that you know, how you're going to approach this topic or you feel like this is the, this is the challenge that, that could make it all fall apart, instead of trying to push it into the shadows, hang a lantern on it. You yeah. know, let that be actually what you focus on and what you bring out because more than likely, it's that struggle that will connect most viscerally with your audience. And so always when I'm, when I'm getting people to when I'm getting people to understand how to um, be themselves authentically, people are always trying to figure out how can I just be myself authentically on stage, right? And I get them to think about themselves like an actor. Yeah. And to train, again, going back to that performance training, to look at themselves through the lens of an actor playing a role. And you're going to play an Oscar-winning performance of yourself. So now let's study what you do. Let's identify what is unique about you, right? If Meryl Streep is 
studying uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher or if Jamie Foxx is studying Ray, Jamie Foxx is not trying to say, you know, that, that tick that Ray does with his head when he's, when he's moving it back and forth, uh, that's, that's annoying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to not do that. No, he says that's Ray. That's what makes Ray who he is. And so we're going to figure out a way to bring that out authentically and then make it delicious, make it delightful, make it amazing for the audience, right? And so I always try to encourage speakers to say, if you got the funny voice, if you got the weird laugh, if you have the, 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 uh, the quirky energy on stage or whatever, let's study it, let's observe it, let's remove the, the parts of it that are, that are uh, debilitating towards the effect that you want to have, but then let's, let's own it and let's embrace it and let's make the audience delight in it and let's talk about it. And, you know, if you've got an accent or something, then make, fun, make a joke about how no one can understand you and speak, say something heavily in that accent. And, you know what I mean? Like, let's create an, a, a very human experience for the audience to go, this person is completely comfortable in who they are and, I, and they love themselves and I love them too. And this has been great. That's confidence and that's connection. So what's the um, most difficult challenge you've had in your career as a poet or speaker or whatever you are? <laughs> as a poetic voice, Bob. All poetic right? voice. I'm going to practice. I'm gonna need you to practice it, sir. I'll practice it. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, there's lots of challenges, hell. You know, trying to figure out what to say on the Bob Pritchard show could be one of them. But if I go back a little further than that, um, I would say probably it's I, I get called because of the the because of the uh, customized nature of my work sometimes. Um, when a client is you know paying for that extra service, where they say we want you to really create something and craft something beautiful for us with our topic, well, you know the topics are not always beautiful and sexy. You know, no, they're not. Um, it, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, it's it's uh, it's you know quality care for uh, you know for taking taking care of, of patients who are at the end of life or something where you just go like well, that's beautiful and emotional and I can do something powerful with that and then other times it's like waste management you know <laughs> you're like really really <laughs> um, and I think one of them was uh, Mayo Clinic called me you know I always talk about this being one of the most difficult jobs that I had Mayo Clinic called me and said we want you to help out with our uh, uh, we want you to help us communicate the message to cardiologists for our blood transfusion conference. And I was like, okay, blood transfusion, all right? And then I thought, okay, well, you know, give blood, give life, right? That's the slogan yeah. for that, that sort of, uh, that, that's beautiful, give blood, give life, that's sexy. And it was like, no, this is actually the blood transfusion conference where we're trying to get doctors to stop giving excessive blood transfusions because they're killing people due to poor medical error practices. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, how do I, and then they're like, now go make that beautiful. Go be sexy, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, how do, I, how do I do that? And so, you know, one of the things that I, I, uh, I teach people is to, um, one of the ways that can help you stand out, I mean, the standard, the, the standard speaker would think about that and they'd go, okay, great. Here's the data. Here's what you guys need to do. And they would, they would make it a charge. Listen, we have to, you know, people are important and lives are, can be saved and we have to stop doing that. And they would approach it head on. You would see it coming a mile away. The, the whole conference would be about that. So the speaker wouldn't be doing anything else than any other speaker or that the event itself is doing. For me, I'm always looking for the unique approach. What is the unique approach that I can take to this material that is completely unexpected for this audience? So that way, when I deliver the information that everybody is saying, I'm delivering it through a vehicle, through a voice that is completely unexpected and thus delightful and thus makes you lean in. And for me, 
you know, the joy of being a poetic voice is that I have poetic devices at my disposal. And so I use the device of personification. And I decided to personify Blood himself holding a press conference for the press to announce that I was firing my managers, looking for new management, and now a free agent. And so I play. I came up there in a red jacket, and I played blood. I had a, I had a, uh, a table set up, right? And I always say, if you're going to create a metaphor in your speech, whatever, go all the way. So I had a red jacket on. I had three doctors that I just met that morning that I, uh, I had as my, my reporters, and I met them, and I gave them their lines, and they agreed to play along with me. And I had them jump up during sections of the speech and shout, blood, blood, blood. And I'd say, next question, how about you, ma'am? And then she would ask me a question that would then be the device to help me further the speech. So if I knew that in the next section of the speech I wanted to deliver information about the statistics of medical errors, I would use her question to say, Blood, well, why have you decided to fire your manager? And that would launch me into, here's here's establishing the problem. And then the next question would be, well, Blood, why have you blah, blah, blah? And that would launch me into talking about the solution. And so I did everything that any other speaker would do. I gave the statistics. I gave the data and the information. I just did it in a voice. And, uh, and, and took an approach that was unique and unexpected and thus delightful. Okay, a couple of, we've only got a couple of minutes, so a couple of minute plug for um, uh, Secret Teacher's Rockstar Secrets through his stage might speaking training. So give us a plug. Ah, the plug. Yeah, so, you know, honestly, I, I created a successful speaking career never having been trained as a speaker. Right? I was yep. trained as a performer, and that, that's my secret sauce, and that's what, that's what allows me to stand out. And I feel like if you want to stand out in your industry, then you have to learn from outside of your industry. And so basically, I started teaching people how to, uh, teaching people these rock star secrets so they could become more dynamic and powerful speakers. And I've been doing it for a few years, but I've never formally launched a program. And I'm super, super excited right now that I'm finally offering uh, uh, an, an e-course, a five-week uh, e-course that is uh, all about teaching you these secrets. And before I even get to that e-course, I thought, well, let me just start pouring into the community. Let me just start letting people know some of these uh, secrets. So if you've heard anything on this on this uh, interview that you think is exciting, that can help you to become a more dynamic speaker, that you want to be become more confident, you want to be more authentic, you want to connect more deeply with your audience. And I don't care if that audience is teleseminars. I don't care if it's main stage keynotes. I don't care if it's the PTA meeting where you want to just, you know, you got to deal with judgmental mothers or whatever. Whatever it is, if you want to be mighty on that stage, then I'm going to do a webinar in a few weeks called Rockstar Secrets for Public Speakers, where I'm just going to pour into you and teach you these techniques and let you walk away feeling more powerful as a speaker, help you unlock that 85% of dormant speaking power that's inside of you. So uh, please make sure that you visit the link. We'll have Bob, uh, Bob will have a link for you to click on, and um, it can register you for the webinar. It's absolutely free. There'll be two times that you can come, and um, just let me come and teach you. Let me pour into you. Let me change your mindset of what you can be as a communicator. Sika, thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, you can connect with Siku by going to Siku, S-E-K-O-U, at Siku, S-E-K-O-U, Andrews, A-N-D-R-E-W-S, dot com. That's Siku at Siku, Andrews, dot com. And you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We'll be right back. 
From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week, broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. I've just returned from uh, a client think tank over four days in Honolulu. It was a fabulous session with four different elements of the company, plus the VC, and we really hit it out of the park. It was great. So thanks, team, and thanks for everybody that participated. It was really brilliant. In the startup business, money isn't everything. Mode Media, a Silicon Valley-based company, raised more than $186 million to build a new age media giant. It's abruptly shut down. The US team met at 11 a.m. yesterday morning and decided to shut down the US offices immediately. Bearing in mind, they raised $186 million. And uh, the company's international offices are expected to shut down very shortly. Now, Mode was founded in 2003. It was initially called Glam Media, gathering together a number of fashion, lifestyle and other enthusiast websites, sold advertising around those sites. But what's incredible is that um, it raised, as I said, $186 million. It was generating $100 million plus a year and it was only losing about $7 million a year. So... The big question, I guess, is how is a company that was once valued at $1 billion, making $100 million in revenue, only losing 5 or $6 million a year, how does it suddenly shut down without a buyer? Very strange. A whole bunch of pissed off investors out there, do you reckon? I reckon. Okay, last word, at least for this week, on how the driverless car revolution is going. John Zimmer, Lyft's president, now predicts it will all but end car ownership in America by 2025. Car ownership's costing the average American 9000 every year. And uh, Lyft and Uber are empowering people now to give up their cars. Already there's been a noted decline in the percentage of people under 45 who have a driver's license. And more and more people are concluding that it's easier and cheaper to live without a car. Now, it, it's going to change, but it won't be enough to have autonomous cars when you can only drive 25 miles an hour. So there's a little way to go yet. I will see you again next week. In the meanwhile, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope, And if you're not living right on the edge, then you're taking up way too much space. Get out of the road. Let somebody else have a go. It's easier and so much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. 
you know, this world's made of about 95% of people who just want to do the ordinary and 5% of people that want to do the extraordinary. So give them all the encouragement that they deserve. I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol for my daily newsletter. It's just a 30-second read, and it'll keep you up to date with all of the business news that's important. And next week, I will again broadcast from my studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.